welcome to this free episode of 10,000 Posts. It's the show about how everything is posting. My name is Hussein. My name is Phoebe. Uh, and to uh, just just before we introduce our guest, uh, to say thank you for listening to this free episode. We do have a lot of bonus content on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash 10k post podcast. Five bucks a month, you get bonus episodes every week. Uh, you get to sort of be part of a little community there. Uh, it also means that we can run the show without ads and stay editorially independent. Both of these things are very, very important to us. Uh, and it also means that you get to secretly contribute to my Katana fund. Uh, and I will and I will explain what I'm going to be using that for in a little bit. But to introduce our guest, uh, to justify why I should totally buy a Katana, uh, friend of the show, Patrick Wyman, uh, Tides of History, uh, been on the show and all our shows many, many times. Also the co-host of uh, the Romecast, which Phoebe and Milo do. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to be here once again with you fine folks. Uh, also, just I, just I do want to plug, because we were just talking about it before we came on, um, Pursuit of Dadliness is also your other podcast that you've just launched. Uh, I was listening to, to, to it today. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and we were talking about being dad-coded and what that could constitute. Um, so yeah, go, 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 go check that out. Uh, and, to, and to like... Uh, I, I thought to begin with, we would have something that actually uh, kind of relates to being somewhat dad coded. I don't know if it's quite dad coded or not, um, but it, I think it exists within that little Venn diagram. Uh, it is a post that we came across a couple of weeks ago, uh, and we were waiting for Pat to come on so that we could talk about it, because uh, there's some kind of interesting and somewhat bizarre responses to this. Uh, this was a post that was uh, that came out. Uh, like I think at towards the end of September, it goes question for men. My mum, who has been married to my dad for over 30 years, just found out that my dad constantly scans for assesses and plans for possible threats. Men folk, do all of you do this? Uh, she follows up by saying part of the reason my mum was so surprised to learn this is that she does nothing of the sort. She'll respond to a clear threat, but she doesn't look for them. I wasn't surprised, which is probably because I do scan assess and plan for threats. But not to the extent that my dad does. Uh, so, Pat, as our guest, um, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Is it a normal thing to be looking and assessing for threats? And if so, what does that look like? Okay, so I'm of several different minds about this. Because on the one hand, I do live in the United States where the danger of like just getting shot by a random person is substantially higher th than it is in the UK. Uh, there, and especially because I live in Arizona where there a not insubstantial number of people are, are carrying guns all the time. Like that is, that is part of life. Like people will, people openly carry guns here. You'll just walk around and you'll see somebody carrying a gun. Uh, so that is a not, um, it's not a totally unreasonable thing mm -hmm. in the United States to be a little bit worried about the people who are around you and their potential to like take out a dozen people in the space of a heartbeat or two. Um, with that said, it's deeply fucking deranged to spend all your time thinking about um, threat assessment. Like that is, it, you've got some serious issues if that is the first thing you think of whenever you walk into any sort of venue. Like, okay, like be watching the people around you, sure. And if something seems obviously off, like that seems like a fairly normal thing to do. But to be actively scanning for threats um, as if mm -hmm. like, you are you are in immediate danger of this turning into a shootout in a Jack Reacher book like that's that's fucking insane. And I think we should not normalize that. That's absolute insanity. So I would say, like, despite living in a place where it's not entirely irrational, it still strikes me as an absolutely unhinged and deranged thing to be actively planning threat responses anytime you're you, you are in contact with other people. there's not really much else we can say about it i yeah. suppose like, I let's, not, like, let's, <laughs> let's not normalize that like that's that's uh, i mean we, we already live in a society that's got enough problems we don't have to invent some on top of that yeah no no, no. i absolutely agree i absolutely agree with you and we were talking about this a bit before and um when women do this it's called it's called true crime brain um mm -hmm. i think it needs to be called something different when men do it so i propose 911 brain as being the as the suggestion for for what you might what you might want to call that mm. what about rainbow six brain rainbow six brain yeah Ooh, all that yeah. yeah 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 all of the like all all like all of these all of all all of these work and i suppose i i suppose i'm like you pal i'm in sort of in two minds about it because we've talked about this a fair bit before on on the show about the effect of um, the power of suggestion 
in a lot of consumption of true crime has has on women and the uh, and the discourse that that erupts where women describe what kind of lives they are leading because they are so so terrified of uh, of sexual violence of murder of coming to of coming to harm in some way and this always and this always erupts uh, when there is a kind of high profile case of something terrible happening happening to a woman and it's very difficult for uh, for people and for men and for men particularly and just to be clear here I'm not saying I feel sorry for men because in the main I don't but um, it is quite difficult to challenge it when women say well you don't know what you don't know what it's like having to do and then they kind of list their safety procedures and I'm always in two minds about it because on the one hand I understand it I do because the world is a very frightening place to be um, to be a woman. But on the other hand, quite a lot of it seems to me like an absolutely kind of horrifying way to live and not something that I want for young women. I don't want young women to feel like unless they're turning on their unless they're turning on their fine my friends and every single person that they know um, is able to kind of track them wherever they go that something terrible is going to happen and i've said this i've said this many many times particularly in relation to relation to true crime is that if you're at risk from anyone as a woman you are in risk you're at risk from the men in your life mm-hmm. that's i mean in terms of in terms of statistics you're at risk from family members from intimate partners from uh, people in positions of authority from uh, people in uh, positions of religious authority cultural authority Etc. So on. You are very, very unlikely to come to come to harm from just somebody in the street. And of course, it does happen. But the reason that it's always such a big story and a woman being being murdered by an abusive partner doesn't make the headlines is because it's an unusual story, and because so much of it is kind of baked in to how women are sort of taught to negotiate with the world. So. I think my what I come down on on the side of is like I don't I don't want the I don't want this for women and girls I don't it, it always always saddens me when I see women behaving in what I think of is quite not hysterical but overblown ways in kind of reaction to perceived threats and also when they insist we are all doing this and this is what we have to do because I actually don't think it's what we have to do and and we're not all doing this I don't I don't do a lot I don't do a lot of this stuff but then when I see men making fun of it then I'm a bit like "Mm, no don't like that don't like that this this one little bit but it all seems to me to be to be rolled into kind of one broader uh broader set of quite pathological cultural anxieties Mm -hmm. that a lot of people have developed seemingly quite like quite recently, like even calling it nine eleven brain, I think hearing people talk about kind of threat assessment in their in their kind of surrounding areas, this feels like a relatively recent. I, I think it. I think it coincides with the rise of tactical as mm. a thing, which yeah. which I would call it. I would call a post an Obama an Obama era development. In the, at least in the United States. I can't speak for the UK, but I think it comes out of kind of the conservative cultural response to the perceived effeteness and um uh and like cultural like like loss of cultural cachet among conservatives where they like leaned into this kind of idea of ultra masculinity mm. that um I, the and and the idea of the man as protector that like there's mm. I mean it, it's one of those sayings about masculinity Right is that it's all that that historians of gender have is that masculinity is always in crisis. Mm. Like there is no stable state of of masculinity. It's always responding to perceived threats to patriarchal dominance or to its sense of itself or like that that it's just always this this ferment of kind of not thought through but potent emotions and and responses mm. and. I think that that's especially true of this particular period, and I think you're, Phoebe, the parallel that you highlighted there with the with true crime brain, I think is exactly correct because they're they're both expressions of control, right? The 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 idea is if you just do these things, then you will be safe. Yeah. Leaving aside the fact that you are a hundred percent right, that the vast majority of threats are things that you like 
rationally should probably be worried about in your life in terms of threats to you are not things that you have control over. Like the the kind of dude who's walking into a supermarket doing threat assessments should probably be more worried about his cholesterol levels. Like on like re- really and truly, like what's what's most likely going to kill him? Heart disease, um, cancer, like what or or um, a car accident. Right? Those are the things that are that that really that guy should in a in a rational sense of like what are the threats to my life and well-being those are the things that are probably going to get you it's not going to be a it's it's not going to be a kidnapper in a grocery store trying to t- trying to steal your uh, trying to steal your wife like first of all nobody wants betty like betty is not betty is not at the top of anybody's priority list like she's she's a deeply unpleasant person we know this <laughs> uh, but uh like but beyond that like that, it, I think it's just this deep-seated need for control that 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 expresses itself quite differently based on the gendered norms of threat assessment. Mm. I think, yeah, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's interesting to uh, to point out the uh, the the point about um, masculinity always being in crisis because if you think if you think about it in terms of a describable constitutive thing femininity is also always in crisis but people are not afraid of what happens when femininity is in crisis because people are not in the main afraid of women and i mean which you you got you got to say that's probably not not completely like immaterial (laughs) um it's not that's not like that's not like completely based on on non-reality what i think is interesting in terms of the genderedness of the of the threat assessment people is how female it is mm-hmm. is how kind of all right i'm going out into the world and i am scared of it there is there is stuff for me to be scared of and like yeah it's like it's couched and framed in the language of masculinity and protecting and serving but what it comes down to is it's people going outside their houses and being pretty afraid of mm-hmm. the world around them and uh and engaging in in quite a lot of um, catastrophic thinking about the potential for something terrible happening to you in the world around you, and I do think it's I do think it's interesting how much of uh, particularly online ultra masculinity, which always, as we talked about before, which always comes down to okay, but what are they trying to sell you? Are they trying to sell you a workshop? Are they trying to sell you a course? Are they trying to sell you a supplement? Um, but it's interesting how how close to uh, to what people think of as sort of more traditionally kind of feminine coded things all of this stuff is mm-hmm. like even just like even like like the big gym bros they're doing it to look beautiful they're not doing it because it's like particularly good for their heart it's not good for their it's not good for their heart to to uh to bulk and shred etc um they're doing it because they want to look like like lovely pieces of art like a lovely like a lovely girl um and i think the problem with this way of thinking alongside the, the 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 harm that it does to your own psyche to your own emotional and spiritual well-being is the harm it does more more broadly because so much of what people think of as being something to worry about or something to keep their eye their eyes on is very very bound up in uh in existing kind of mar- in existing marginalizations so People, so like a lot of this kind of human trafficking stuff is like, is 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 a, is like you know oh you see, like you you see, you see a brown man acting shifty, like then it's because he's trying to traffic you and that's very much kind of sort of tying into this this whole idea of like white femininity as being a kind of external thing which must be which must be protected. Uh, quite a lot of this stuff is is people who aren't well who might be behaving unusually in public. Um, and I think it's very, I think it's very socially and socially and culturally damaging if your immediate feeling is mistrust and what potential violence you can do to people who are already, who are already structurally marginalized. Well, if you're, if, if you're already anxious about quote unquote, those people then you need to f- invent reasons to feel that way it can't just you you can't admit to yourself that it's j- that you don't uh, that you just dis- dislike them or that you're afraid of them because 
of who they are because the, or because they're a marginalized group or because they're different from you. You have to, you have to have an, a reason in your head why that is, why that's a justifiable thing. And so the narratives about trafficking and drugs and disease works just as well, right? Like diseases, you know, for, for a thousand years, people have been talking about the other and disease. Right. The, it, you have to have some you, you have to be able to come up with some sort of justification to yourself. That's not just um, I dislike them because of the color of their skin or because they they look different than me and they make me feel icky. Like most people, no matter how bigoted their their actions are, at least in their thought processes, are not going to be OK with that. Mm. You know what I mean? Like they're like they will never be able to admit that to themselves. Um, mm. even if that is the reality of it, even if uh, on a basic level, that's what it is. I mean, I suppose the part I, I to your point, Phoebe, I, I think you're exactly right. How do you build a society when fear is your baseline emotion that you experience when you're dealing with anybody who is even slightly dislike you at all? Right. And then what do you do yeah. when you realize that let's say something bad does happen and it is vastly more likely to happen at the hands of somebody that, you know, like you're one of these dudes who's doing threat assessment, right? Like you are dramatically more likely to be killed cleaning your gun than you are by a stranger in a grocery store, mm. right? Like with somebody shooting you in a grocery store, you are dramatically more likely to be stabbed by your blackout drunk brother-in-law at a barbecue than you are to, than you are to get into a bar fight and have somebody and, and have somebody knife you there, like have a stranger knife you in a bar. Like, mm. so then you would have to, it, it if you were to follow those things to their logical conclusions, then you would have to admit that maybe the people that you do trust aren't worthy of that. Mm. Um, same, same with, same with, um, you know, who is actually doing sexual violence? It's not strangers; it's people that you know, right? Like this is mm. the, this is the, it, it's, it's, you know, it's part, it's intimate partner violence. Like then you would have to start questioning the structures of the world that put those people close to you and that make those binding relationships. As opposed to it being something like like fear is fear is much more comfortable when it's abstract than when it's personal. Mm. Uh, and I, I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time understanding living that way. And I think part of it is like over the last couple of decades, I've spent a lot of time like doing stuff that made me afraid in the moment. You know, like I like I spent a lot of time like like having people trying to punch me in the face or like lifting really heavy things or the or like doing professional things that that made me really nervous. And if you just expose yourself, like your body can't differentiate between different kinds of stress. Like you're you don't when you, when you do something that your your body and your mind perceive as stressful, it doesn't know whether that's public speaking or whether it's uh, or, or or whether it's like somebody trying to hurt you. You get the same kind of uh, like physiological responses to that. And if you do those kinds of things enough, it can desensitize you. You don't stop being afraid, but you, the the fear doesn't really run away with you in quite the same way. I think part of it is that a lot of people who are running their lives based on these feelings of fear have never experienced actual fear. Or when they did, it was so overwhelming and they had no idea how to deal with it that it just like that it made them afraid of being afraid from then on. Mm. And mm. The, that like if you, you know, people talk about things like resilience and a lot of that's uh, like a resilience is a characteristic or like a learned thing. A lot of that is bullshit, right? It's people who are trying to sell you something or who are trying to get you to, you know, go to their Amazon storefront uh, to buy to buy a, a, a to buy something. But like there really is an idea of, of resilience where like that is an actual real thing where if you do difficult things and you accept the possibility of failure and you accept, for example, the possibility of being afraid when there are scary things happening, then you're much better able to deal with them. And I think there's a I guess the word I would use is is brittle. Like this is all really, it feels really brittle. You know yeah, what I mean? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, I, I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree on that. Like, yeah, and to be like, to be a hundred percent clear, like, I think that particularly, like, particularly for, particularly for women, uh, in, like, instinct-based fear is is a gift. But you also can't tell yourself that your instinct isn't based on a kind of wide variety of of inter of like of intersecting factors and. Quite a lot of quite a lot of stuff uh, that women describe doing, like the, I suppose like like the key between the knuckles, like not having your headphones in late like late at night or, or you know or whatever. Like that that to me doesn't seem particularly mad or particularly no. or particularly an example of um, of kind of life of sort of life ruining level of anxiety. But I, but I do, I do think that there is that people need to be kind of digging into what they're afraid of. Like, 
if you're if what you're afraid of is being bothered by a man in public who turns nasty, that is a that is a very very reasonable fear which is rooted in material reality, and it makes perfect sense to to want to do what you can to mitigate to mitigate that. It doesn't take away from the fact that if you're going to get attacked, it's much more likely to be someone that you know. But then, how are you supposed to live? Just like full stop. So, like, like so much, so much of life is based on, is is based on trying to, uh, trying to ignore what the what the high risk things that you do every single day are, because otherwise you would just you just drive yourself fully, fully mad just so so quickly. Um, but when people go into a go into a like a, a shop and they are like kind of looking around the room being like who's the, who is the th- who is the threat in here um it's very it's it is worrying because it is because that sounds to me like much more of a precursor to potential a potential random act of violence than it is than than some than the people who are just sort of minding their minding their own business because it feels very it feels very cop logic to me yeah. Like oh no no yeah. I, was, I was scared I was scared of them 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 so obviously I just like attacked this it person. Is, it is cop logic. Um, it's exactly the line of reasoning that leads to um, mostly I would say fifty something white guys in the South sitting in the parking lot of a Seven Eleven shooting black teenagers, mm, which is yeah. a thing that happens with some, with some regularity. Like that happens at least a couple of times a year in the United States. Well yeah, and there's been gen- a couple of stories about people like knocking on doors for help and being shot. Now that that mm-hmm. seems to me. Not the same as putting your keys between your knuckles. No. <laughs> that feels like a different category yeah. of behavior to I, me. I, I was going to ask, because like a lot of this points out, I was going to make like you guys already made very much, much better. But one of the things that I was thinking about when I saw this post was also, and this is actually in relation to like what uh, Phoebe, you were saying about, you know, ultimately these things kind of leading to having to buy a course or a program. And one of the ways that, this phenomena can be looked at um, weirdly enough online is through like everyday carry content. So like, mm. it's one of those things that I've been obsessed with for a while, but in the States, like, um, you know, a lot of the everyday carry stuff, you know, the content that you sort of see on YouTube, they'll sort of show you like, you know, a guy who carries like free switchblades and like, a, you know, a, a, like a tactic, military tactical torch, like all these types of things that like, kind of gives off the impression that they're going to war but this is like no this is the stuff i just carry around in my bag every day and they'll sort of like they'll sort of um explain that oh like the reason why i have this particular tool is because you know if i get into any trouble like you know this can be like a really good way of you know uh warding off the enemy like they'll use terms like the enemy and stuff like that and it's like kind of bizarre to watch when you kind of bear in mind that these guys are literally just talking about the stuff that they carry in a bag every day when they sort of just like go out to town, right? But at the same time, there are so many like companies and stuff that actually advertise. So like just another very quick example, I I recently like had to buy a new backpack and I'm sort of one of those guys who likes kind of really, because re- I, you know, dad coded and everything, really, really researching things like, you know, fabric, uh, how tactile are like, you know, the straps or whatever. And the amount of like bags that were advertised to me, which were effectively look like military backpacks, mm. um, were astounding, right? Like you have these sort of general products that have this un- like that are geared towards like men, um, that have this underlining tone of like all the stuff that you now have to have to like carry or hold and stuff, like has to have this type of military aesthetic to it. Like they're not military grade stuff by any means. These are sort of things that are there on the consumer market, but they kind of ape the military aesthetic and i do think it feeds into this idea that like you know going out in in the world is kind of akin to being in battle now or like you should treat it as such and i wonder how much these kind of things reinforce the idea that like the world is a dangerous place and you can't really trust anyone so you have to prepare for everything and by the way like you should buy our products because it means that you can prepare for everything um and like the types of people it appeals to are men who I think are just very scared, right? And they don't really know, or like, you know, some men who are kind of very scared, don't, not really sure of like what they should be doing. And so this kind of really does feed into the idea that like, you know, as a real man, like your responsibilities are to like, you know, I don't know, like take on anyone who you perceive to be an enemy. But like fundamentally, that does mean like spending months looking for the best switchblade to like, 
attack someone who probably wasn't a threat to you. So let's 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 put this in concrete terms, because we can imagine very specifically this type of guy. Like we can imagine the person to whom this appeals. Let's say it's a 37 year old father of two who lives in the suburbs of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Right. And is like a project manager at a second tier construction company that's owned by his uncle. Mm-hmm. And they're they're getting work, but not a lot of work. He makes good money, but not great money. He lives in a relatively new house with his wife and three children. His wife doesn't work. He has he has three kids that he doesn't see all that often and doesn't interact with them particularly well. But so who is this guy? Right. Like, who does he think that he is? What is what are his voter? Yeah. Well, so. So, yeah, I, for for a certain for a certain way of looking at the world. Yeah, he's probably like. He thinks of himself as Christian. He probably thinks of himself as conservative. He probably drives a truck. And he he is the, the perfect candidate for this everyday carry stuff, right? Because when he goes out into the world, when he leaves the safety of his suburban home um, with his with his wife and their three kids, he's he's thinking that the world is out to get them because that's what he's been told by the sources of media around him. He's, he consumes child like child sexual trafficking content on YouTube, and he's seen Sound of Freedom. Right. So like this guy is fully invested in a world where it makes perfect sense to carry probably two different knives on him just in case something happens to the first one. And like that's that's a real person who exists. That's actually a lot of real people who exist. I've, I have met them. I know I know that they're real. They exist in the in the city that I live in. Um, they're like my my kids, friends, dads. Like I, I know who these people are. And to my mind, that seems insane. Like that whole chain of reasoning seems deeply fucking unhinged. Like nobody is going to come grab your kids from school drop off. Like you don't need to be you don't need to be carrying one or more knives to pick up your kids from uh, to to pick up your kids from school. That's not a thing. You don't need to do that. You're not going to need that at the local McDonald's. There are homeless people there. Yeah. But like probably not going to bother you. And worst case scenario, you have a whole uh, police department um, that's perfectly happy to do violence to homeless people Mm. on your behalf. Like that's their function. So that that's like, I understand the bases of it and the kind of like fire hoses of what I would consider to be basically not like fear driven nonsense that are, that these people are basting in. But I I can't, I can't get behind it. Like I can, like I can understand it. I can rationalize it. I can, I can see how they get there, but it doesn't make it any less insane to me. Um, On that note, we should probably uh, shift to our second topic, which is rather than, well, I, I was thinking of a segue while you guys were talking, which is rather than spend all your time thinking about uh, knives and guns to carry around, uh, maybe you should think about something more productive like the Roman Empire. But I don't think it quite lands, so I'm very sorry both to <laughs> you and to, and to Devin and to all the listeners. Uh, I, I have failed you, I am sorry. But um, yeah, Pat, like we when, when this thing came out, a few people, like a few fans of the show did send it. And they were like, when are you getting Pat Wyman on to talk about it? Well, uh, you know, the one time we do listen to you, uh, it's, when, it's, when, it's when we invite our friend Pat Wyman to come talk about <laughs> why do men think so much about the Roman Empire? Um, so I want to give like a bit of a background of this meme before we get, because it was like a little bit ago. Uh, so this is from the uh, the very good archivist at knowyourmeme.com. Uh, on September 25th, 2022, the Swedish influencer Saskia Court, I think it was 2023. Uh, maybe they got it wrong. Anyway, the Swedish influencer Saskia Court posted to Instagram a series of 10 screenshots showing DMs uh, and comments showing how, uh, all, sh- showing how often men thought about the Roman Empire, inspired by a story that inspired by a story that she posted. Uh, to which she asked her followers to ask their male partners the same question. When translated into English, the description of her post read, ask any guy if he thinks about the Roman Empire. More contributions uh, are saved in my profile under the highlights. Quote, guys eat and quote, the kingdom of Rome. Uh, a hug from a male scientist over the course of one year. And the post gained roughly 3,000 likes. There's some more to this. I'll put the link in the show notes. The basic summary is apparently lots of men think about the Roman Empire quite a lot um now i i would not necessarily classify myself as one of those men but pat i i, I wondered as someone who like kind of studies this and thinks about it basically all the time as part of your job uh how common and also why might this be happening or is this kind of an over 
thing that people are just kind of latching onto. So it's a little bit of all of that, but I really do think a lot of guys think about the Roman Empire a lot. And I, I think there are really like strongly identifiable reasons why that's the case. I don't think it's entirely bullshit. I think on the one hand, um, when guys consume pop culture history, uh, a lot of what is geared towards men of pop culture history has to do with Rome. Mm -hmm. So the Rome TV series, Gladiator, I think is the canonical example of this, the Spartacus TV series. Um, and uh, I mean, even like you go back a generation, the old Spartacus movie, right? Like, you know, got Kirk Douglas. Like there is the, there is a long tradition of uh, pop culture depictions of Rome as being kind of the the ur historical period and the the setting in which people can play out their anxieties about the present. Mm. And so I think that if guys are thinking of history, you don't like most American most American men especially haven't learned that much history in school. Like we it, it doesn't get a ton of attention. If they have it's it's usually US history. And even then it's not that much. Like like I, I think like, I don't know about the quality of history education in the UK, but I can't imagine that it's any worse than it is in the US. And the like it is, it's really bad. So it's not like people have this tremendous stock of historical examples to think with. Mm. It they I mean, they've got you got World War II, you got the Roman Empire, maybe you got the, the US Civil War, probably not the revolution. Like most people just don't know that much about history. And to the extent that they know anything about history, it's probably from Wikipedia and pop culture. And the Roman Empire happens to be highly accessible in those terms, mm. right? The, it, it's very easy to get to. If you're fucking around on your phone one night and you go on Wikipedia, you can fall down a Roman Empire rabbit hole and you can stay there for a couple hours. And that's, that's pretty fun. It gives you a lot of stuff to think about. There's lots of Lots of individual articles. They're reasonably well done by the standards of Wikipedia. And you can end up coming away with some baseline level of knowledge about this. With, like the barrier to entry is very low. Mm. Um, also, I think this is connected, but not entirely the same thing. Uh, there is a big market for like stoic content, right? Like, again, we, to come back to the issue of dudes trying to figure out who they are. Um, and, and how they're supposed to act in the world. Stoicism, there, there is a lot of um, oomph behind uh, kind of stoicism for dudes uh, in, in terms of making online content. There are, uh, there are websites, er, there, there are websites, there are uh, TikTok accounts, there are Instagram accounts, there are YouTube accounts that are just talking through stoicism. And of course, the historical background to Stoicism as a thing is Roman Empire, Marcus Aurelius, right? Like, there's it, it's it's easy to make that sell, and so I think more so than the vast majority of other historical periods, it, it's easy to get into Rome, like it's easy to get there. So, to the extent that men are thinking about history at all, um, Rome is a really natural and easy thing for them to be thinking about. Like, it's just there. Um, and you can tie that to the long intellectual tradition of dudes thinking about Rome, uh, which goes back to, you know, like, like you can you can have a pretty continuous line of guys thinking seriously about the Roman Empire and what it means for them to at least the 14th century and probably longer. Mm -hmm. So there's an intellectual tradition of it. It's accessible. And, uh, you know, I think for a lot of people like that kind of is history. Yeah. You know, there's like they you, they may be peripherally aware of other historical periods, but like we can't think that the average person out there to the extent that they think about history at all has like a detailed chronology of everything that's happened in the world and that they're just picking this one for specific reasons. Like this is my problem with the think piece thing that's like, um, oh, you know, they're picking Rome like they're they're focused on Rome because. It's uh, you know the perfect thing for cis white men because it's ultra hierarchical and it's a it's a thing with cis white men at the top. It's like it's not like they're picking this as opposed to Great Zimbabwe or Angkor <laughs> yeah. or like or, um, uh, or or literally anything else. It's they they probably don't know that those things exist. Yeah, and that or if they do. They're not accessible. Like there's, there's like a couple of brief Wikipedia summaries on those things. Like if you, even if you wanted to get into Great Zimbabwe, like what are the easy entry points for that as a non-specialist? Mm. 
they're not there. Like it's really, really difficult. So people go to where the content is and the, there is a lot of content about Rome. That's, mm-hmm. those are kind of my baseline things. Like, I don't think it's nearly as intentional or reflective of, of, um, power structures in our society as some of the think pieces would make it out to be. Yeah, no, no I, I fully agree with that. And I think this is a, a absolutely zero offense, Pat. It's a very American impulse to want to, to want to impose post 1940s American conceptions of race and racialization onto the historical past. I have actually lost count of the number of people who I've heard confidently claiming that you couldn't be a citizen in Rome unless you were a white man. It, and it, it's just, like, I understand how you would arrive at this conclusion, but you can't just say stuff. Nope. That's like, I understand that like, if you are, uh, if you are just consuming historical content because you think it's interesting and you, in, and you enjoy it, fine but you can't just say stuff and it's and it and pat you and i have talked about this before about how quite a lot of american conceptions of uh, slavery in the ancient world is so completely contoured by the understanding of the of the transatlantic slave trade that they are unable to conceptualize it as um as a piece of historical phenomena which again it makes sense. I, I, I fully understand why you see the word slavery and you think, okay, well, this must this must be a violent a violent process of uh, of racialized of racialized dehumanization and and, uh, and 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 massacres. That's what it must have been. And it wasn't. I'm not. This is not a defense of ancient slavery, but it didn't it didn't have these kind of post hoc sort of moral justification. It was you enslaved the people that you conquered. That was just the way things were. Again, it's yeah. not good. It's not good, but it's very, very different from the transatlantic slave trade. Yeah, the idea that think that different things can be bad, but they can be bad in different ways and for slightly different reasons is there is difficult. I think for a lot of people to grasp because this the the way that we're talking about this and thinking about it requires you to have a pretty substantial stock of different historical examples mm. to use for comparison, yeah. right? Like you have to have a baseline knowledge of the transatlantic slave trade and, um, um, you know, chattel slavery, racialized chattel slavery in the Americas. Then you have to have a baseline understanding of slavery in the Roman world, which was different a little bit than slavery in the Greek world, yeah. which was different still than unfreedom in um, other ancient Near Eastern empires, which was different from unfreedom and slavery in uh in let's say bronze bronze age uh and iron age china right mm. like these are these are all different phenomena they're, they're it all sucks like you don't want to be a slave in any one of these no, right like this yeah, is this yeah, is all it, bad yeah it, it all a hundred it all a hundred percent sucks like don't don't get me wrong on that yeah. front I, people have i think people are very bad in the main at thinking thinking laterally so i think mm-hmm. that if you ask the average person with the av- with an average kind of school but school based historical education in the in the in the globe in the global north i'm sure it's completely different in other parts of in other parts of the world uh pat you said i don't know what the what historical education is like in the uk it's it's not good i don't think Hussein, I would have what, assumed, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to put that. Out you didn't want to. You didn't want to just sort of put that out there. Hussein, have you got any any thoughts on what it's like? Uh, I mean, I went to a grammar school where it was a bit better, and also I did an international program, so I at least kind of got to study some different regions. But those regions were limited to North America, and that was it. Mm. So did I you, did like a what, module. What did you learn? Like, about, what did you learn about at school? What What were your What were your modules? What did you do well, for history? I certainly learned. That history is uh, is is a is 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 a discipline of many contrasts. Uh, I, <laughs> I I genuinely can't remember. Um, can't I feel remember. like with my with with like my sixth form history, uh, which I remember much more because I had to pay more attention to it because I studied it at university. Um, we did one year, which kind of was just like World War One and examining sort of treaties that led up to world war ii and then the second year was the international modules um and i would like to say that we kind of talked about or studied the american west but i can't i can't remember so like so i feel like the education in terms of the diversity was a bit better 
But in terms of how you study it and how you think about it, very much not the case. And so it's very much like, yeah. how did I spend two years of my life and then not take anything from that? Um, which I think is probably more like, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 not, it's not insignificant. Um, uh, at my school, it was a little bit, it was a little bit odd because I didn't realize um, until I was an adult that one of our history teachers was uh, was a little bit of a little bit of a renegade uh, because I thought you were going to oh, say we... something else for a second. Uh, yes, no, no, yeah, no, no. I thought that was going in a much different direction. No, 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 no. She was no, she was no, no, no. She was she was she was she was excellent. She was a very she was a very elderly Welsh woman, and because she had covered all we had to do for the curriculum when we were in the first and second year uh she decided to do a kind of impromptu which again i did not realize was impromptu at all uh impromptu module on the on the evil of the british empire and um and we learned about um we learned about the british empire in india and in kenya and uh the actions of the east india company and I didn't realize that this was not a standard thing that you get got, got taught in schools until I was an adult. And um, and I kind of came across sort of people sort of saying, no, it's really, really important to have to uh, to be to be doing all this kind of sort of re-reckoning with the history of the British Empire, uh, because so much of it is. Uh, so much of it is this kind of oh well you know we showed up in India and we built the railways. What's the what's the issue? I don't I don't get it. It's, this, this is fine. Um, mm. And and I was like, yeah, but you know, you you learn about like you learn about like the Bengal famine and like the Mauer massacre, right, at school. And they were like, what? No. And I and I was like, yeah, yeah, no, no, you definitely do. We did that in we did that in first year after we finished with Richard II. And uh, <laughs> and turned out <laughs> turned out this was not an, a normal average thing that was that was being done. And it was just that our history teacher just thought, you know what, it's time for them to learn some learn some reality about the world and then we went back to the french revolution which again you know fair play is interesting um so i think that people are very bad at thinking laterally and they're very bad and they're very bad as well at not thinking of civilizations obviously heavy inverts around civilizations as being um as being kind of at the same time as each other so they think well like okay so there was there was ancient egypt and then ancient egypt finished and then there was ancient Greece, and then ancient Greece finished, and then there was ancient Rome, and now they're sort of now. Yeah, basically, um, yeah. yeah. And maybe maybe you get the Middle Ages in between. Maybe you get some talk about the World Wars, uh, but like e even in the case of the subjects that like quote unquote history guys think they know a lot about, it's conditioned by the kinds of books that get written about those topics, the kind of uh, the kind of documentaries that get made about those topics, which tend to focus on you know for lack of a better term, like names and dates and and some striking images like the the way that the Roman Empire is portrayed is largely top down from the perspective of emperor from the perspective of emperors, big ass buildings and um, and military accomplishments, right? Like mm. conquests and battles and, and things of that nature. Um, so the the version of that history that people are getting that is made accessible to them is not what those of us who have really studied the Roman empire would think of, would, would think it is right. Like the Roman empire is contained multitudes. It contained tens of millions of people spread across vast geographic areas. Like there's nothing less Roman about talking about a farmer in Gaul or a shepherd in the Atlas mountains than there is in talking about, a, you know, a Senator in Rome itself. Like they are all part of the Roman world. In different ways, their experiences of what the Roman Empire is are going to be quite different for reasons that make a lot of for reasons that, that we could go into. But like, that's not the Roman Empire that's getting that's getting fed to people. That's not the Roman Empire that people are thinking about. They're thinking about it as a whether implicitly or explicitly, they are thinking about it as a point of comparison for their concerns in the present day, which is good. Like, it's good to have historical examples to think with. But when you have a really limited stock of historical examples and your understanding of that comparison is based on a really limited um, portrayal of that time period and, and what made it matter, then that's going to lead people astray. Like doing comparative history mm. is actually hard. Like it's hard to do mm. for a lot of reasons that make a lot of sense. 
we do it all the time. And I, I think we would do it better if we were more open about the the limitations of that and the limitations of only having this like incredibly limited stock of examples. Like yeah. it, the, the, it fucking killed me a few years ago, like at the height of the Trump phenomenon in the United States, when there is like, oh, he's Mussolini or, you know, let's talk about it as like the rise of fascism. Like, he's from fucking Queens, man. Like we, we, like we are, we're talking about a guy who came up in post-World War II America in Queens. And it's not that those other comparisons are, are completely meaningless, but why not talk about like the, the gargantuan figures of like, like authoritarian figures of New York politics in the sixties and seventies and eighties, Yeah, right? Like those are the relevant influences here. And yeah. maybe you would understand what's happening a little better if you focused on an actively American tradition of authoritarianism and top-down rule and like dipshit white guys who think they know better, right? Like, and think mm. they have the right to make decisions for everybody. Like we got plenty of those on our own. You don't have to go searching for, mm. you don't have to go to the end of the Roman Republic. You don't have to go to Mussolini. You can just talk about, like, you can, you can talk about the actual historical context that produced yeah, that. You can just person. talk about the mob. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or for that matter, you can just talk about a particular kind of reactionary strain in being an american guy from 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 queens like a guy when, who a guy who watched a shitload of charles bronson movies yeah like, like um and- when i when um when we did the when we did the episode on on trump posting which must be, oh God, must be three years ago now um one of the things that we said is that like people is that people make this sort of slightly interesting assumption about um about trump embodying this kind of fascist masculinity when what he really is like he is like someone's great aunt candace Mm -hmm. he's not he's not especially a kind of avatar of masculinity like certainly not in the way that obama was obama is a much is a much more much more aurelian figure if you ask me sort of sort of softly softly spoken but functionally a genocide heir Mm -hmm. yeah there there but but it's much easier to to conceptualize in terms of the bluster and and like there's an extent to which like like Trump was very much a blank slate for people to read onto you know like he was like he was such a figure that produced such tremendous amounts of anxiety in every way shape and form that people could read all the worst stuff they believed about the present and the past onto him and that doesn't mean that he was a good guy by any stretch of the imagination it didn't mean it doesn't even mean that he didn't embody some of those trends and tendencies and but like he also was just a guy from Queens. Yeah. Like and the, the a very rich guy from Queens, but still just a guy from Queens. Yeah. A, a guy from Queens who spent who spent most of his formative time in the clubhouses of country clubs. Right. Which which is not an unmeaningful way of understanding a person like those are social spaces that have norms that 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 appeal to people with particular cultural tendencies and beliefs about how the world is supposed to work. and when you blow those up to a person who happens to have won the presidency, this is basically what you would expect to get, right? Like it's, it's the, it's, it's a shithead who, who owns a large construction company who sexually harasses waitresses at the, at at the local country club. Like that's not, that's, that's not an, like that's a common figure in the United States, you know? Yeah. But he's definitely not looking around looking for threats. No, uh, (laughs) that's, he's definitely like, he's definitely not doing that. It's a different, it's a different mode of anxiety. Okay, so one of the things that I was gonna that I wanted to ask you, Pat, and to be quite honest with you, I quite fancy doing a second half of this episode at some point if um if you're available for that because there's 100%, just there's yes. just there's just so much to say. There's so much to say about Roman Empire posting. There's so much to say about all of this stuff. It's so it's fascinating, um, and um, I'm not just saying that because it means that I get to talk about <laughs> that I get to talk about Roman bunch. Uh, the first thing I just wanted just, just to get out of the way, I was going to get this out of the way much earlier, but um, then we kind of got into a bit of an interesting discussion, is that I really don't care for this. And like, I know that this is, I know that this is, this is, this makes me a killjoy. I know it does. I know it does. And I literally don't care. I, I really don't care for this new mode of men are from Mars, women are from Venus style of posting this men think about the roman empire girl dinner girl math i hate it i fucking hate it i i i know that it's like just silly and dumb and like and it doesn't really mean anything but it really it really really 
gets to me. I don't like this. Oh, it's really nice to have a boyfriend because he explains world events and maths to you. Ha ha ha. Like what like what are you even doing? Like what are you what are you even doing? Do you not think that you're gonna you're not gonna be treated like you are stupid enough without without doing it to yourself? It's not I don't I I don't like it. I'm really sorry. And I know it's and I know it and I think I think of it as very, very distinct from like the kind of the bimbo aesthetic stuff which i think is a sex thing and it's fine you know do 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 what do what you want to do but this very specific like yeah like i said like girl math and men think about the roman empire and i ask him and he says don't worry about it baby okay yay no i hate it i really really hate it the the girl dinner one bothers the shit out of me because the because it's such a normalization of disordered eating like where like so much of that content is like you look at the stuff that they're that they're pointing to and you're like that's not a meal like that's a that's a way of you tricking yourself into thinking that you're eating enough when really like you're you're doing something that's like anorexia adjacent mm-hmm. like that is not enough food like you see oh this is girl dinner and it's like 400 calories worth of stuff i say this as as a big boy here um you are who's a big very boy. committed you are a big I, boy <laughs> I recognize my eating habits are not those of a, the the average person, but still, like I know what a proper meal for a healthy adult woman is supposed to look like, and it's not that. That's not it. Like that's not a healthy meal. That's not enough food. Like you're not getting your nutrients from that. You're not getting your macros. You're not getting the vi- you're not getting your vitamins. You're not getting your micronutrients. Like that is a like that is a way of giving yourself permission to not eat the things that you know you need to eat to subsist in the world. Like, I, I hate it. I hate it. It's like, oh, look at how cute this is. Like, no, you're fucking anorexic. Like, eat I, some food. I don't think it's I don't think it's disconnected from the revival of uh, the kind of ultra skinny Y2K look either. It's all, all of it is about, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm writing a personal essay for BuzzFeed in 2017, but it is all about shrinking. It's all about making yourself as small and as unthreatening as possible. And like, quite frankly, if you're, if that's, if that's like the line you're, line you're going, going along, then like, no wonder you are so frightened of the world because you're turning yourself into a child, into a fragile child, like either with the, either with the way that you're talking about yourself or your intellectual capacities or, you know, your snack modes. Like it's, yeah, I, it's not, it's not what I've got to tell you. It's not what I want for, for women younger than me. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that for so, a kickoff. So I was talking to a woman yesterday who just wrote a book about um, <clears throat> about strength. Basically, she's a competitive. She competes in in strongman, um, and, and she just she wrote a book about how she got into it and kind of her journey to strength. And she talked to all of these like professional strength athletes all over the world and people who work on kind of the psychology and physiology of strength training. And we were talking about you know the thing that women are told when they start lifting weights is well you don't want to get too bulky. Or they're like, they're, are, are you sure you want to lift weights because it might make you bulky or, you know, or men conversely telling women that you don't have to worry about that. You're not actually going to get bulky. Mm. But like the whole, her point was that that whole conversation is about taking up space and make, and, yeah. and the idea, it, it, the reason why women are afraid of that and they're assured that that's not going to happen is that they're, they're being told that, no, don't worry, you won't actually take up space either either phys- like physically obviously but also like the idea of a bulky and muscular woman is threatening mm. on some basic level it's a violation of of what a certain type of person sees as idealized femininity and they take offense at the fact that it exists not just not like and anything this woman has actually done just the fact of her existence as a muscular woman is enough to be threatening mm-hmm. and so i thought it was i thought it was really interesting but like that speaks to the girl dinner right like if you're yeah, does, if we're absolutely. normalizing fucking girl dinner then we're we're not normalizing the idea of a woman physically or physically taking up space no that yeah that's absolutely true i mean like obviously to be clear anorexia is a complex uh, a complex yes. and serious illness I, and it's not and it's not, not just trying to minimize not, anorexia no no of course you're not no no absolutely but it's absolutely not just a case of you know just eat some food but it's this um it's this framing of uh not just um not just anorexia but kind of anorexic practices like all of this stuff 
If anybody is familiar with pro-anorexia and, and uh, pro-bulimia content on, um, on, from, from, from Tumblr and uh, where, it ex- where it exists now, le- less, less so admittedly on Tumblr these days, but it's def- definitely still a thing that, e- that exists. If you cannot distinguish between a cutesy TikTok about your girl dinner and a very, very unwell person posting about their ser- about their serious Ill- illness on Tumblr in 2014 then that it's not it's not a non problem it's not it's not nothing and i think a lot of it is tied into as well um a lot of it is tied into the uh concerted attacks on on queer people particularly on trans people this idea that women are supposed to be are supposed to be kind of fragile and tiny it's like it ties into the it ties into the kind of renewed interest in um in kind of what is what amounts to kind of body phrenology i don't i don't i don't like i don't like any of it and i do think that a lot of it is a lot of it is um in terms of kind of a little cultural cultural phenomenon, is um, young women are taught to be absolutely not just a bit like nervous about aging. They're taught to be absolutely like phobic about it, and they quite often um, project that phobia onto onto women who are older mm. than them. And it's it's something which is a kind of hard lesson learned, I think. And it's mo- not one that I think you're capable of learning in your twenties. Like I mean Jesus, I certainly didn't. But this that this is a bit this is a bit of a tangent to but I just but just this whole the whole framing of this question about oh men think about the Roman Empire. Bitch, I think about the Roman Empire. <laughs> <laughs> As well, you should. It's fascinating. It's worth thinking about. It's, it's just worth, not. It is worth. It's worth thinking about. But the big question I wanted to ask you, and like, don't worry if you can't answer this, is that because like my first thought when I saw this, because I was, um, because these posts were coming up when I was away on holiday, and so I got this message from one of my friends saying, like, I bet you got some thoughts about um, how many times <laughs> a day does the men think about the Roman Empire? And I was like, I literally don't know what you're talking about. I'm on holiday. <laughs> What 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 is this? Is this something that I need to think about now? Can it wait until I come until I come back? Um, and he said it can definitely wait till you come back. <laughs> Don't think about it now. And no, it can't. You have to answer. No, it now. no, 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 no. Stop <laughs> what you're doing right this right this minute. You need to go somewhere where there is proper where there is like proper internet signal, which was very very you know patchy. Um, and uh, yeah, that's what that's what we're going to want you to do. And uh, the first thing I thought was. Okay, but like, what aspect? Like, what do you mean? What do you mean by this? What what period of time do you mean? Uh, do you mean in the period of expansion outside the Italian uh, Italian peninsula, where it wasn't governed by one man, but it's still called an empire because it had a central, because it had a kind of set, an administrative center, um, and then kind of garrisons and settlements? So, like, is that an empire? What you what do you mean when you say empire? Do you mean the literature? Do you mean the do you mean the military? Do you mean the building projects? What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? When when are you talking about it ending? Do you mean do you mean the end of the Western Empire or do you mean the end of the Eastern Empire a thousand years later? What do you mean when you say that you're thinking about the Roman Empire? So this is obviously the uh, tiresome pedantic uh, autist response to men think about the Roman Empire every day. But I'm actually genuinely interested to know what you two think that people mean when they say men are thinking about the Roman Empire, what is it they're thinking about? Legionaries, aqueducts, <laughs> yeah. uh, the Colosseum, <laughs> yep. emperors. Marcus Aurelius, always Marcus, Marcus Aurelius. Aurelius. Yeah, always uh, Marcus Aurelius. Caesar, Caesar. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that about covers it. Uh, and like, if you're British, then like, uh, fuck, what's his name? Uh, Celius? Is that like Caecilius? the guy in the Latin textbooks? Caecilius. Caecilius, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I, I did... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did I, I did year seven Latin uh, because everyone had to do it. I can't remember who that fucking guy was. Um, well, Caecilius wasn't uh, but, um, wasn't um, he wasn't British. He doesn't doesn't Caecilius no, no, die? No, what, in I, the, what I mean, uh, what what I sort of meant Pompeii? was that I think he does. No, what I meant was that everyone I remember who oh, uh, right, I see, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like studied Latin, kind of references it. Milo's referenced it a couple of times. I've been like. Yeah, I sort of know, but I don't really. 
Uh, so that's what I meant. Not that. Not that. Not that. Not uh, that Kykilis gotcha. is is is, uh, is is British. I wanted to clarify that. But what I also wanted to say was, I think because I think that's actually a really good question. She's not really specific about like what do they actually think about, and in some way that does get to the heart of the question because like to say that men are constantly thinking about the Roman Empire while kind of being a bit funny is also very vague in the sense of well it's such a kind of big kind you know phase of history and there's so much stuff going on in there uh so anyone i think who has like an interest in history will probably be interested in the roman empire to some capacity even if they don't really know that much Mm. um and so what i also and and so when you ask that question i think it very much depends on like who you're talking to and i think the Marcus Aurelius stuff is really interesting because even though I have never read Meditations, I don't really know much about Marcus Aurelius. What I do know is that whenever I've seen, you know, these types of tech bro guys on like, you know, the types of books you should read, you know, it is always this kind of like list that includes like the four hour work where you can get ri- like rich dad, poor dad or whatever. And then they add like meditations in there, right? It is like supposed to be like, and they, and they sort of like describe it. I was watching a couple of videos where we tried to describe why they put um, Aurelius into this mix. And it really comes down to what I think is kind of a misreading or misunderstanding of Stoicism. Um, but like a type of Stoicism that is very much rooted in like hyper-individualism. This idea that like, you know, the, the argument that one of these guys says, I can't remember his name, but the argument that one of these kind of fairly popular bros kind of say is, you know, Marcus Aurelius kind of really emphasized that you can't control like outside like what people think about you. And so it's a good reminder that you can only really kind of control your inner thoughts, right? Which I don't I don't think that's, that's just a very really... funny thing for a genocide heir to say. It just it just is. <laughs> like genuinely, like this yeah. is like like this is something just like, you know what? Anyone who criticizes you is just not really doing anything with their lives. And then just like well, this is this is like, this while, is like while we're at yeah. it, can we like can we maybe like have a column put up that has like images of like of like me kind of like wreaking kind of bloody murder all up and down Deja? Is that something that we can do? Yeah. Um it's not it's not any of my business what anyone else thinks of me. It's like, yeah, it mm, a little bit. It is a little bit your business, Marcus. But I but I think the way that they frame it then is like, well, a real like when they sort of kind of view their interest in the Roman Empire as just being Aurelius is you know implicit in that is also this idea that like oh you can learn from like this very specific reading of what the roman empire was about like how to live like a better and more civilized life right and so there are kind of like misreadings within misreadings but i feel like when it comes down like a certain kind of guy their sort of like interaction with the roman empire really does come from like a kind of broish reading like a tech guy to tech bro reading of like how they read the cliff notes of Aurelius's like meditations. He's he. It's kind of a generic stand-in for I want to look smart mm. and I want to mm. want it to sound like I have some intellectual interests. And here's a safe option that's going to that I know will appeal to my particular set. Mm. And like I'm not saying that they don't have a genuine interest in it, but it's a safe choice. Mm. It's like, I, I mean, it, it, it's like you want to go sit by a pool in Hawaii and, and read a novel like you could probably read Colleen Hoover and you're going to be safe. You want to go hang out with a bunch of tech bros, probably going to be safe pulling out your copy of Meditations or whatever fucking format they're reading. in. I don't know. Do they use physical books. I know these people uh, <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's very much my sense is like it's not that that interest isn't genuine. It's not that they don't think there isn't good stuff in there, uh, but there this is always the case with reception, right? With reception of any text is that it's going to be conditioned by who's doing the reading of it in what context in the present with what goals and priors in mind. Like mm-hmm. it's this, you know, like same with the Bible, right? Like a lot of shit in the Bible, you can, you can kind of emphasize what you want to emphasize and what people choose to emphasize has a lot to do with where they're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. What I'm interested in is at what point uh, meditations replaced uh, replaced the art of war and machiavelli mm. for what these lads pretended to be reading it's a good question art of war i feel like became cliche around the early 2010s mm. um machiavelli i don't know i i think machiavelli still has some kind of negative overtones and i think if you're like an open machiavelli reader people might like they might assume that you're you're openly um, like power hungry, which mm. these people are to be fair. But there's, a, I think they probably see a benefit in not appearing to be so. Sure. 
I mean, you can't get more power hungry than being a Roman emperor. True, but it's but if you but if you wrap it up in yeah. um, in stoicism, then it becomes a virtue and not um, genocide. But it says right here that he was a good guy. <laughs> it's he was one of the good emperors. They don't just go around calling you a good emperor unless they really mean it. <laughs> I mean, I, my my only other thought on that is also like my other thought on that was this: like Machiavelli was also kind of used quite a lot by pickup artists as well. Yeah, and I wonder whether yeah. the pickup artists like of the mid two thousands kind of made uh, Machiavelli like a little bit like beyond not beyond the pale, but like sort of a bit kind of not serious for you know the new the new wave of pickup artists who like to kind of think of themselves as stoic intellectuals. What yeah. can you? What aspect of Machiavelli was being used by pickup artists. It's all very, very uh, sp- sort of specific <laughs> guidance for for advising advising your a Medici. Like, <laughs> I, I say this as someone who like kind of was tentatively interested in them, uh, but like didn't actually kind of read. Like, has it, like I don't know whether this is the definitive answer, but like basically, I think it's kind of the same as like wanting to look intellectual, and so you're like, oh, this Machiavelli guy, he sure was manipulative. Just like what I'm doing with women in the club, or something like I I don't know. That's my that's my theory. I see. Mm-hmm. I think that's about right. That's <laughs> I don't know. I don't fucking know. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like we're running close to time. Phoebe, do you have any more? Do you have Do you have any more questions, or like, uh, should we save them for like a future? No, I think I think save them for a future episode because I think this is an interesting subject, and I'd like to talk about it more. In, in the next one, we should go like deep. We should go further into like what Roman Empire posting actually is because I feel like there are lots of like subcategories in that. Which oh, there you got the statue AVIs, statue and bust AVIs. That's the. Yeah. That's a whole thing right there. No, that's but yeah, this is I, I think I think we gotta save that one for another one. Yeah. Yeah, we'll 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 do that. We'll do that like in in, in a few weeks, uh maybe. Like, you know, I feel I think that'll be that's like a whole thing in and of itself. So Patrick, we're we're very excited to have you back on to uh to have to to to, uh, to talk about that alongside other like episodes, posters of history and so on. Uh but all of which is to say, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us about uh this phenomenon. Uh, if people want to listen to your shows or read the stuff that you do, how can we do that? Uh, you can find uh, Tides of History and The Pursuit of Dadliness on any podcast platform. I'm still on Twitter at Patrick underscore Wyman, but, incre- but, but much less so than I used to be. Um, mostly I'm on Instagram now at Wyman underscore Patrick. So hit me up. Uh, we'll include all those, uh, all those links into the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this free episode. We really appreciate it. Uh, just a reminder, we have bonus content on our Patreon. All your support helps us to run the show without ads and it helps us to kind of keep doing what we love to do. Patreon.com forward slash 10k post podcast, five bucks a month. Uh, yeah, loads of really good content on there. The show is produced by Devon. Follow them at Devon underscore on Earth. Listen to Kill James Bond if you don't already. And finally, Phoebe, got some plugs? Uh, yeah, uh, you can listen to me and Milo's Seinfeld podcast. You can subscribe to my Substack. I'm actually, literally, having talked about talked about how hist- like history education is a bad thing in this country. Um, I'm at the moment writing something about how I like the Tudors. So. Um. <laughs> so look out for that i need to finish i need to finish that actually so this will be a good nudge great stuff uh so until next time we'll catch you later have a good one bye bye thank you bye